Hello there, and welcome to our Sardis Fellowship Sermon Podcast. My name is Richard Frankowitz, and I am the Youth Director here at Sardis Fellowship Baptist Church. Today, Pastor Tim Both continues our series in the book of John, looking at John chapter 13. Thanks for listening, and enjoy. We get to um, open God's Word, and I should say I'm Tim. I'm the Community Life Pastor here at Sardis Fellowship, and I really do think it is a joy and a privilege to be able to open God's Word with all of you, and to continue to be worshiping him as we have been doing, and to continue to be learning about him uh, through his word. And so we're going to be looking at his word and hearing from him and exploring it together uh, this morning. And we've been going through a sermon series um, at our church called um, John's Gospel, The Moment of Glory, where we've been looking at the book of John, the Gospel of John, and we've been tracking Jesus's journey um, from his pre-incarnate existence like we sung about. He's the word at the beginning, uh, made flesh, and now his earthly ministry. We've been tracking it as he's he's been waking his way to Jerusalem. He's been getting closer and closer towards Jerusalem. And what's going to happen at Jerusalem is he is going to be um, crucified. It's going to be his moment of glory. In the upside-down kingdom of God, his greatest moment of glory is going to be his execution at the hands of Romans. And that's hard for us to wrap our heads around, and so that's why we've been exploring it. You know, he's, he's going to be given a crown and being praised by, by people. He's not going to be given a, a, a golden crown. He's actually going to be given a crown of thorns, and people are going to be mocking him. He's not going to be lifted up on a, on a throne, executing his power to his people. He's actually going to be lifted up on a cross, and the powers of darkness are going to overtake him. And so that's his moment of glory. So we're going to continue to explore that in this sermon series, and we're going to explore this morning his glorious love displayed on that cross. And so we're going to be talking about love this morning. We're going to be talking about love from John chapter 13 is where we are now. So if you have your Bibles, um, you can turn to John chapter 13, uh, whether on your phones or paper Bibles, it's also going to be up on the screen. Um, And we're going to be talking about love, and it happens to be on the heels of Valentine's Day, and uh, we didn't time that out, but I just, I've been thinking a lot about love from this passage and also Valentine's Day, which we just had um, last week. And I don't know how you feel about Valentine's Day, but I'll just share how I feel about it, which is I pendulum swing. I have moments where I'm like, oh, Valentine's Day is great. It's this like great little opportunity to give and to receive like love and to give little cards and to give chocolates. And it's so cute when... Um, the kids come home from school and you see all the little cards that they got and all the notes they wrote. And it's a really good time to be able to remember, oh yeah, okay, romantic love is important and you know, all of us to, you know, who are in relationships, okay, get cards and all that stuff. And it can be a really good moment for that. So that's one side of me. And then I can shift and I can think, well, isn't it just like our culture to take something as beautiful and profound and deep as love and to just make it like kitsch and like cheap and shallow and like, you know, marketing and corporations who are greedy just making it a day about like buying stuff that you're eventually going to throw away and fill the landfills with and like it's a day, (laughs) bear with me, it's a day where like the lonely feel even lonelier and like people who are in relationships feel like, oh, guilty because I have to get stuff for people, ah, it's just so I pendulum swing to that side of it and I kind of fluctuate. (laughs) I don't know where you land on that or if you're like me, but... But I was walking in the store the other day before Valentine's Day with John 13 on my mind and I was trying to think through love. What is love? What is it all about and where does it come from? And I was walking to the store, maybe in one of my grumpier moods, and I walked past, I was trying to get something else, but I walked past the Valentine's Day card section and I see all these cards and I'm kind of like, you know, so I, 
I go over there and I start reading all the titles, like the fronts of these cards, like, you know, and then I pick one out and I'm like, come on. And I'm reading the front and I open it and I'm like, and then I keep reading it and I'm like, huh, oh, hmm, oh, okay, yeah, that's actually good, hmm. Oh, yeah, that's okay, pretty good. <laughs> Getting a little dusty in this store, and, uh, and then I bought it. And so I fell into the hands of the corporations. They got me with their marketing, um, but it actually said what I was feeling, and so I bought it, and uh, it's good. It's good. If we're in relationships, it's good to remember romantic love. It's good to remember friendship love. That's all a part of love, right? Um, but there are things that our culture misses about love. And I think that in this passage, we're going to see something really profound, um, which is the God who is love. In scripture, um, God refers to himself as love. God is love. And he, in this passage, we're going to see Jesus displaying a form of love that might be foreign to us. It's true, deep, other-oriented love. And in the Christian faith, we believe, you know, romantic love, friendship love, but there's this deeper love that we're called to receive and give And uh, here's a quote that shares about that. Christian faith involves trusting that at the center of the universe is a being overflowing with love for his world, which means that the purpose of human existence is to receive this love that has come to us in Jesus and then to give it back out to others, creating an ecosystem of other-focused, self-giving love. And so that's what Christian faith tries to trust, that that God is love and he is an other-oriented self-sacrificing, loving being. And it's really easy, I think, to receive cards, you know, and give cards, and that's, that's easy. It's really hard, I think, to receive that kind of love and to give that kind of love. It's really challenging, right? It's hard to receive that kind of love because we have our defense mechanisms and our barriers and our lack of trust, and it's really hard to give that love because we're so self-focused and oriented that's hard to look out and see other people and, and love them. But that's what this passage, I think, calls us to. Um, What I want to say this morning is you must receive and give the love of the humble king. You must receive and give the love of the humble king. So we're going to look at John 13. So let's look at John 13, verse 1, that says this. Now before the feast of Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. So let's just remember that for later. During supper, when the devil had already put into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come from God and was going back to God, he rose from supper, he laid aside his outer garments, and taking a towel, tied it around his waist. Then he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with a towel that was wrapped around him. So we're going to keep reading a little bit of it um, later. But, but first, I think to really capture the love that is being shown here, we have to understand that there's kind of three stories all weaving together in this part. Um, there's the Passover story in the background. There's a betrayal story happening. And there's also the foot washing story that we're reading. And so I think to really understand the depths of the love happening here, we have to understand a little bit about each of these briefly. So Passover... You might remember your Old Testament. You might remember the scene with Moses and the, and the sea parting, and he says, let my people go, and the sea parts, and they go through. Before that happens in Exodus, there's all these plagues. Remember, there's the 10 plagues, and the final plague um, is where 
the firstborn in every house, Israelite or Egyptian, is, is going to pass away unless the people take a blameless lamb and slaughter it and take its blood and rub it on the doorpost of their house. And if they do that, the spirit of death is going to pass over, pass over their house and no one in the household will die, whether Egyptian or Israelite. Anyone can do this if they take a blameless lamb and put its blood on the doorpost. And so the Israelites made a meal to remember this every year, Passover, where they would eat this meal and it would remind them of this moment. And so you might think the disciples are there thinking, how cool is this that we get to eat this meal with Jesus, who is like a greater Moses. Moses let his people go, the Israelites, out of Egypt, but Jesus is gonna like free us from the Roman oppressors and he's gonna be this amazing king. How cool is it that we get to eat this meal with a greater Moses? And Jesus is thinking that little do they know that Jesus is actually not going to identify so much with Moses in this meal, but with the, the lamb, the lamb that was slain. And so they're eating this thinking, this is so cool, and he's thinking, yeah, this is portraying me about to be executed for you guys like a lamb so that the spirit of death might pass over you. And so that's looming in the background of this story, Jesus' self-sacrificial love on the cross. Also, the betrayal story is, is kind of weaving in and out of here. As we read it, you'll see it kind of rears its head once in a while. And I sometimes think, you know, it'd be nice to just read the story and not have all that betrayal stuff in there, you know? It's like a nice love story about Jesus serving them. But I actually think that the betrayal, Judas about to betray Jesus enhances the, the love we see here because it shows just who Jesus was willing to love as he washes even Judas's feet. And so this is that betrayal story. And then there's the foot washing story. Um, and so foot washing, what's interesting is every time I think we open our Bibles, we are teleporting to another culture and another time. So it's always a cross-cultural experience when we open our Bibles. Um, because it's written thousands of years ago and it was written in a different place. So foot washing is probably foreign to us. Uh, we don't need to wash each other's feet. You know, that happens in the shower and the bath um, and we have nice shoes and we drive everywhere and most places are concrete and so we don't have to really worry about washing each other's feet or about foot washing. But in that culture, um, picture, you know, 2,000 years ago, Israel dry, dusty, arid conditions. There's no vehicles. You know, not a lot is really paved with stones. It's dusty conditions. And you would have a bath and you would cleanse yourself, but then anywhere you have to go, you have to walk, basically, unless you're riding a donkey or a horse. Um, and when you're wa walking, the roads are dusty and there's probably like manure and stuff everywhere and like feet already are kind of gross, but like it's like times a thousand because they're like, like, bunions and calluses and smell, right? It's like, okay, I don't have to go too in-depth there. But, but, um, <laughs> but, you know, people walk everywhere. If you want to go to a friend's house, if you want to go to the marketplace, you're walking. And when you enter a house, you're like, okay, I'm all clean, but my feet, it would be so refreshing to just have, you know, my feet washed. It'd be, it would help my experience here in this house be, be better, you know, not smelly and, and weary, but it'd be refreshing, and so they would actually have servants or slaves who would, in some households, wash people's feet. But it was seen as like a really demeaning act. And so Jews who had Jewish servants wouldn't even let their Jewish servants wash their feet. They're like, no, it's too demeaning. You know what? You don't have to do that. Um, and so that's kind of the culture. That's the context we see ourselves in here. And Jesus begins to do that. He begins to, he begins to wrap a towel around and he 
begins to get on his knees and everyone is like, what is happening? What is happening here? And so let's take a look at their, their responses. Uh, verse six. So he's washing everyone's feet. He's drying everyone's feet. There's probably like a heavy, awkward silence in the room as Jesus is making his way, washing everyone's feet. And he gets to Peter. Oh, Peter. And he said, he came to Simon Peter who said to him, Lord, do you wash my feet? And Jesus answered him, what I am doing you do not understand now, but afterwards you will understand. After the cross. Peter said to him, you shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered him, if I do not wash you, you have no share with me. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. And so I'm not the only one who pendulum swings. Peter's like, no, none of me. And then, okay, all of me. He's kind of like all over the map here. Um, And Jesus said to him, no, okay, the one who has bathed does not need to wash except for his feet, but is completely clean. And you are clean, but not every one of you. For he knew who was to betray him. That is why he said not all of you are clean. So that betrayal story peeking its head out again. Um, and so there's this interchange here between Peter and Jesus, and it's really interesting. You know, Peter's like, no, no, not, don't do that. You know, that's not becoming of you. I, I picture it like this. If um, for some reason the king of England decided to come to your house for dinner, uh, if that were to happen, and you're having a meal, and you set out your finest stuff, and you're hoping to talk like, okay, geopolitical stuff, you're hoping to talk about, you know, inner royal family workings, and you're having a nice dinner, and suddenly he stops, and he stands up, and he looks around, and he says, do you guys have a washcloth? And you say, yes, and he grabs it, and he starts, like, spot cleaning your floors. Like, how, what would you feel in that moment? You would feel like, what are you doing? You're the king. Um, are my floors really that messy that you had to like stop in the middle of this meal to wash my floors? Like you'd feel insecure. You'd feel awkward. You'd be like, get up. Like I can do that later. I can get someone else to do that. This is like a once in a lifetime opportunity that you're here. And it'd be all of these uncomfortable, awkward, insecure feelings, right? That would, that would happen. And that's what all of these disciples are feeling in this moment. And Jesus takes this moment, this thing that happens in their culture, to talk about a deeper spiritual point. And so all throughout John's gospel, you'll see him talk about you know, childbirth, and he brings that to a deeper level. You must be born again. He, he talks about drinking from a well, and he's, he takes it deeper. You have to drink from living waters. And here, again, is a cultural thing, foot washing, and he's, he takes it to a deeper level. So in this uncomfortableness, he, he brings out two points. The first is that you must... Um, you must be bathed, you must be washed in Jesus if you are to have any share with him. So he, you know, Peter's rejection of it leads to a teachable moment where he's like, no, if I don't wash you, you have no share with me. You have no place in my inheritance. You, can't, you don't have eternal life if you don't wash me. And what that means is, for us, is if we don't believe in Jesus and trust in him as that once and for all sacrifice that he gave on the cross as the slain lambs, if we don't believe in him, then we don't share in him. We don't have eternal life. And so this one time, I believe in you, Jesus, committing my life to you, that moment is when we are his and we're cleansed and we're washed and we're clean and we're, and we're brought into the kingdom. But there's this subsequent cleansing that happens, which we might call sanctification or growth, where in the journey of life, we get weary and 
wicked. There's weariness and wickedness, and as we walk this path of life, just like them walking uh, the road, the dust of the earth clings to our feet. And so we might be cleansed. We might, I believe in Jesus, I'm saved. Yes, that's once and for all. But the, the journey of life leaves us weary and, and messy. You know, the things of this world, the things in our hearts cling to our feet and we need Jesus' continual cleansing over and over, moment by moment, day by day, hour by hour, we need his cleansing. And so that's what Jesus is saying by, by foot washing. He's saying, no, you're clean. Don't worry, I don't have to wash all of you. That's been done. You believe in me. But you need this continuous um, cleansing over and over and over. That's what we need if we're to share in him. And that's kind of, I think, a bit invasive and awkward because if you think about it, we need to let Jesus like right in between our toes. You know, we need to let him wash our feet. And that's like the king washing our floors. It's like this uncomfortable, awkward feeling. But, but Jesus is wanting to give us his love. He's wanting to share his love with us. And he's saying, you must actually let me. You must receive my love. But there's things that get in the way of us receiving Jesus' love. I, th- I think of a list here, maybe there's more. There's things that get in the way. Pride, I don't need this. Or, you know, this isn't for you, Jesus. I can wash my own feet. I can cleanse myself. I don't need this. Um, insecurity, you know, putting your foot out there, it's insecure. What, what if Jesus sees into my soul and he sees something that he actually doesn't love and he can't actually cleanse, right? Skepticism, maybe you've been, you know, skepticism, doubt, uh, hurt in the past. Maybe you've been hurt in the past and it makes you go, no, I'm never gonna open myself up to anyone ever again. You know, I think of um, my daughter, Eva. We have a cat and my, my daughter loves to pet this cat uh, and sometimes that cat is in a bad mood and she'll just be so cute and, and snuggling this cat and petting it and the cat will just kind of be like, not today, and just kind of like get her hand or something and it's like, and, and then Eva, you know, she recoils and goes, ah, I don't wanna really pet the cat again because I've been hurt. You know, I put myself out there and maybe to a much larger degree, that's you. You've put yourself out there, you've, you've tried to receive someone's love and you've been hurt. And so there might be barriers there. I don't want to allow Jesus to love me. Um, maybe there's fear, maybe it's too awkward. Maybe you feel too sinful. Or maybe you feel that there's no need for you to receive the love of Jesus. But what he's saying here is you must, you must receive my love if you're to have any share with me. You need to let me get into the toes of your soul <laughs> in order to, it's a strange expression, into the toes of your soul to cleanse you daily. And what that looks like, I think, in our lives is through prayer and confession. Just confession, moment by moment, day by day. Jesus, this is who I am. You know, this is what I've done. This is my past, this is my hurt. And I think a lot of the time what stops us from confession is that it means we have to admit to ourselves who we are. And that's hard to do. You know, this is really who I am below the surface, below the facade I have in public maybe. This is who I really am. And you have to let Jesus there. And you know what? He wants to get there in your life. How's that going? You know, how are you doing with that? Are you tracking? Like he, he wants to actually get there in your life and he wants to love you in the deepest, most intimate part of who you are and he wants to cleanse you there. And I think we resist that. But he says you gotta let him. You gotta receive his love. You have to let him Wash your feet, or else you have no share in him. And so then he goes on. What happens next is he doesn't say, 
as one commentator said, he doesn't say, now wash my feet. You know, I've done this for you, now you wash my feet. He actually says this. When he had washed their feet and put on his outer garments and resumed his place, he said to them, do you understand what I have done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you also should do just as I have done to you. Truly, truly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. If you do these things, blessed are you if you do them. I am not speaking of all of you. I know whom I have chosen, but the scriptures will be fulfilled. He who ate my bread has lifted his heel against me. I'm telling you this now before it takes place, that when it does take place, you may believe that I am he. And so they, they kind of cringe at this idea of the, the master becoming the servant. But they don't know what's coming, that it's a picture of the God of the universe becoming the crucified one. And how much more of an upside-down reversal is that for them? And so they're having a hard time accepting this, but Jesus is about to be crucified. Will they accept that? And so he says, with that kind of love, you are to wash one another's feet. So don't wash my feet now. Wash one another's feet. And so what does that look like? Are they literally supposed to wash each other's feet? Well, I think we get a picture of that in a little bit here. In the story now, um, Jesus gives some bread to Judas. You know, Jesus has just washed Judas's feet. He gives him the bread, and Judas goes out to betray him. And then Jesus says this. When he had gone out, Jesus said, Now is the Son of Man glorified, and God is glorified in him. If God is glorified in him, God will also glorify him in himself and glorify him at once. So that word glory, what we're exploring, this is about to be, this is set in motion, the moment of glory that is about to happen in the cross. Little children, yet a while I am with you. You will seek me, and just as I said to the Jews, so now I also say to you, where I am going, you cannot come. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. So I think that's, the foot washing isn't necessarily meant to be a literal thing they repeat. It's supposed to be a symbol of what? The love that they have for one another. So love one another. This is a new command that I give you. So we're supposed to receive Jesus' love in that deep, intimate, powerful, changing way through his cross, and now we're supposed to give that love out. We're supposed to love one another. You must give the love of the humble king. You must give that out. Why is it must? Well, you must receive that love or else you have no share in him, but you must give it because he says it's a command. I'm commanding you to do this. This is the only time, actually, that he says I'm, this is a command. It happens again in John 15, but it's about the same thing. Love one another. I'm commanding you to love one another. And that's not necessarily new because all throughout the Old Testament, God is the God of love and he wants to show his love to his people and he wants his people to love each other. You can see all sorts of laws and stories about that in the Old Testament. So then what's new about it is the example and the power. A new command I give you, love one another as I have loved you. And so now Jesus, in his humility and in his cross, has become the example for us to love each other. And so what does that love look like? Here are some words from this story, from just this story that I can see, and maybe you can see more. 
Jesus' love is perseverant. So the beginning of the passage, he loved them who were in the world, he loved them to the end. To the very end, he persevered, he didn't give up. His love is hierarchy flipping. His love is other-oriented. His love is self-sacrificing. His love is shame-ignoring. He doesn't care if people think it's demeaning that he's on the floor washing people's feet. It, he just ignores that. It doesn't matter. I love you. It's cleansing. It's refreshing. It's restorative. It's intimate. It's open to all and it's enemy-including. He washed Judas's feet, the one who was about to betray him and he knew it. I mean, what do we do before this list? How do you feel? <laughs> When you look at that list and you just think, I'm supposed to love like that, do you think, yep, easy, that's great. I can go out and do that. Or do you think, you know, I, I look at that list and I go, that's impossible. Like, I actually can't do that. I don't know how to do that. Um, I look at my own life and I can't see that happening all the time at least. Maybe sometimes I get it here and there, but not all the time. How do you feel about that? How are you doing with that list? You know, I think just to let you into a story in my life these past few weeks um, of how I'm doing with that, my kids have been um, sick. I have four children. Uh, they've all kind of been sick, and you know, it rotates and goes through all the kids, and it takes forever for the sickness to leave your house, and then the next sickness starts right when that one's done. But yeah, my kids have been um, just sick for a while, and that's meant lack of sleep, and you know, they're up in the night, and my youngest, you know, crying and trying to console them, and it's so funny to me seeing the contrast between me and my wife, like the morning after a night of sleep like that. So all, like my wife, a loving person, she'll be like, oh, poor kid, like you were sick all night, and how are you doing, and you didn't, you lost sleep, and that's so sad, and how are you, and here, come here, and I'm like in the corner, just like brooding, you are my enemy you have betrayed me how dare you you have stolen my sleep you know that's like I'm just like grumpy you know just thinking about my world my sleep you know it's like such a contrast between me and my wife and I just I can't do any of that stuff I'm so self oriented that that like once in a while I'll break through and be like oh that is too bad that you like lost sleep too but it's mainly you know <laughs> it's mainly like come on I needed that sleep right um and so that's kind of my world and I look at this this love and I'm like I wish I wish that I could be like that all the time I really wish that I could love one another as Jesus has loved me but it's hard it's really hard um and yet he still calls us to it it's a command and um I think for us to kind of see that maybe we feel the same, if you'll let me take you on an imaginative exercise for a moment, maybe we can do a bit of an imaginative exercise um, together for a moment. Um, what I want us to do, and you don't have to, is take a moment, we're going to close our eyes, and I'm going to lead us through something for a minute or two. Does that sound good? Silent apprehension. I will take that as a yes. Okay, so... Let's just, let's just take a second to close our eyes and we're going to picture something together. Okay. So let's picture ourselves there in the moment with, at, at, the, at the feast and we're there. We have, we're the ones holding a basin of water. Okay, you've got a basin of water in your hands. You've got a cloth and you have the cloth there. You've just filled the basin with water and there's people in this room surrounding you Maybe it's dusty floors. Um, there's some, you know, stench of, of feet. 
and you're there, but you're surrounded by people. And these people aren't the disciples, they're people in your life. Okay, so you take the bowl and you approach one of the people and you kneel down on your knees, put your hands in the water, um, and this person in front of you at this point is somebody that you admire, somebody that you love and you just think is the greatest and they are somebody that you want to be like and there's somebody that you um, just really um, adore. So this is somebody that's in front of you in your life. So picture someone in your life and you begin to take off their sandal and you put your hand in the bowl and you grab the cloth and you begin to wash their feet. And you get in between their toes and you wash their feet and you look up and what, what, are they, what is their expression? And what are you feeling in this moment? Can you do this? Is there resistance? You wash their feet as an act of, of humble love and, and, and surrender. You dry their feet off. You move your bowl over to the next person. There's another person sitting there. This person is somebody, let's say, on the same level as you. Somebody you're in a relationship. If you're married, it could be your spouse you're picturing. Uh, it could be a friend that you really appreciate. Um, somebody like that. It could be a coworker. Somebody on the same level, somebody that you uh, enjoy and appreciate. Maybe there's challenges there, but there's somebody on your level. And you, you take off their sandal and you put your hand in the bowl and you start washing their feet. Is there resistance there? Is it challenging? What are you feeling as you do this? You finish washing their feet. You dry their feet off. And now you move to somebody who, in your life, might be lower on, on a hierarchy. Maybe it's, one, maybe it's a child, maybe it's a kid, maybe it's an employee, somebody um, you know, lower than you on the ladder. It's somebody, quote unquote, beneath you. And you take off their sandal. You begin to wash their feet. You get in between their toes. You look up at them. What is their expression? What are you feeling? Can you do this? Is there resistance there? Okay, you dry their feet. You move over one more. And there's somebody who annoys you. <laughs> Maybe an image comes to mind immediately. You know, it might not be hard to picture, but there's somebody who just annoys you or rubs you the wrong way. You know, they're not really an enemy, but it's just like, ah, hard to be around and frustrating in some ways. Maybe someone comes to mind. Can you wash their feet? Can you do it? Can you put your hands in the bowl and begin to wash their feet? You do that. What do you feel? You dry their feet. Now you move to the last person. And picture somebody, maybe that has really hurt you. Maybe it's hard to do. Maybe you can't go there in your mind and that's okay, but picture someone who's hurt you, who's betrayed you, who's really, really let you down, who maybe even is an enemy. Somebody who you feel might even be opposed to you and is trying to make your life miserable. Picture them. Can you put your hands in the bowl Remove their sandal and wash their feet. Are you doing that? What do you feel? Is there resistance there? Is it hard? Is it harder than washing the other people's feet? You wash their feet, you dry their feet, and you move to the next. All right, let's open our eyes. Okay, so how was that? Thank you for going on that journey with me. Was there resistance there? Was that hard? Was that challenging? I think that's kind of what love 
is like. We, we don't know how to give that and it's really challenging for us. It's way harder than giving a Valentine's card to someone. It's giving of our whole selves. It's getting in between each other's toes. But that's what Jesus actually calls us to. And I think that there's a direct correlation between how much we can give that kind of love and how much we're actually receiving the self-giving love of Jesus. Like if that's hard, if there's resistance there, I can't love that person. I, I could never do that for them. Maybe we're not spending enough time actually reflecting on what Jesus has done for us. Maybe we're not spending enough time actually receiving Jesus' love. Maybe we're not letting him get deep enough because if we did, if we actually let him, you know, if we, if we just know Jesus at arm's length, which we can't do, if we know him at arm's length and we say, okay, we're good, um, and we don't let him into the depths of who we are, then we're not gonna think we're that bad, you know? Jesus loves me, that's great. Um, and then if somebody hurts us or does something wrong, I don't think we'll be able to say, I, I understand, that sucks, but I love you and I forgive you. But if we let Jesus weigh into the depths of our hearts and we can see that we ourselves are betrayers, we ourselves miss the mark, and he cleanses that, maybe, just maybe, we can give that love a little bit more to those around us. And if we do, if we can give that love, then it will have an effect on the world. He says, other people will know that you're my disciples by your love for one another. It'll have an effect on the world. And maybe you're thinking right now, well, how do I do that? Do I actually literally wash people's feet? I mean, maybe, but I think it's more about an attitude. An attitude. If we have this, if we cultivate an attitude of humble love, reflecting on the the self-sacrificial love of the king, allowing that to affect our lives, then maybe we can give it. And just as a quick example before I close, as this was on my mind and my kids were sick, there were moments where holding my kid, I I tried to think of it through the lens of foot washing. You know, I'm... You know, I'm trying to just, Tim, you can let yourself go, you can die to self, and you can love. And it actually changed those moments for me to be moments of love and compassion and empathy. And so I think if we allow Jesus to cultivate in us an attitude of love and humility, wherever we are in our lives, every single context here, as you go out from this place, you can have an attitude of foot washing and loving the people around you that will have an effect and an impact in your world. It could be mowing a lawn. It could be doing the dishes. It could be saying a kind word. It could be giving of your time to go for a coffee with someone. There's a billion, infinite number of ways this could be applied. But if you have this attitude, if you cultivate that attitude, I think the Holy Spirit will help you apply this in your context. Thanks for listening to our Sardis Fellowship sermon podcast. If you'd like to learn more about our church, please check out sardisfellowship.com. Have a great day and God bless.